0: Come on in, you're listening to The Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and I'm so glad that you could tune in today. You know, it's Financial Literacy Month, and also, as we know, that dreaded tax season, but I I thought this would be a great time uh, to interview my guest today because of that, and she happens to be a certified public accountant. She also has a Master's in Business Administration, and she's a certified finance coach. Today, we welcome Tatiana Sawyer to the show. Tatiana, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Celeste. I'm glad to be here.
0: Great. Well, I hope, um, you know, as, as people are watching and uh, listening in today, that they will, you know, support the show by liking, subscribing, um, and And certainly, if you really feel rather adventurous, you can certainly forward this on to your your friends and loved ones um, who probably are going to want to hear a little bit about what we 're talking about on today 's show um we're we're going to to delve into financial literacy and it 's a piece that you know so many people um, you know they they <sighs> don't really have much background or training uh when it comes to that you know they don't really teach us a whole lot in school about even basic things like how to write a check or nevertheless balance a checkbook so I am really looking forward to today's conversation with Tatiana, and I hope that um she will definitely give us uh some tidbits of her wisdom to help us along in this journey uh as we we you know, develop ways to be better and do better with our finances. So in starting, Tatiana, you know, like it or not, we all have to deal with our finances at some point and a budget or lack thereof in some cases. And obviously, the ramifications of not budgeting. So she is going to share with us some very important concepts about budgeting, that are often hard to grasp I understand for the average person. So, Tatiana, tell me, where do we begin and how do we start down the road to financial literacy, success, and peace, if you will, in our lives, often peace, definitely.
1: <laughs> I think that the first step um, to, that's great to start with is changing your mindset and attitude around money. Uh, because um, I've recently read this book called The Psychology of Money. And what I found really interesting was that we all are newbies at money management. Money in today's concept, I guess, um, has been around for only maybe 100 years, maybe a little less. The concept of compounding, the concept of investing, the concept of budgeting hasn't been around that long. And so Our parents and grandparents really have been the first um, people who've really started learning a little bit about it. Actually, my grandparents didn't and my parents also didn't because um, I grew up in the Soviet Union. It's still developing there. But in America, um, it has been around for only, I don't know, maybe the 20th century in the beginning of the century, Um, somewhere around... um, 1913 I have in mind and so we're all kind of new to this money management and we haven't really done a great job of talking to even our own children about money talking about what's important how it's important to talk about it why it's important to know and remember uh, about money I can't tell you how many conversations I have when people sometimes new clients say oh I didn't know that. I didn't realize that you're supposed to pay off credit card every month. Yeah. That's one of the basics.
0: <laughs> thing, Right. Yes. Most definitely. And, and exactly. that's true. Um, you know, I understand from, you know, the information that that you provided me with that 30 uh, percent of Americans. Uh, that was uh, astonishing. Have up to five thousand dollars in credit card debt. Fifteen percent have. 5,001 or more, and then 6% have actually over 10,000 in credit card debt, which is uh, 14 million people uh, in America. So, you know, what kind of negative impact can having this type of debt actually do to your credit?
1: I think that the impact... um, part of the impact is pretty obvious, meaning that it's, yes, you're in debt, you're leave it, living beyond your means, but the mental health impact is also something that we don't talk about often because not having confidence in your finances really takes a huge toll on our mental health. And um, I think that that's something that's important to, to bring up and, and mention, the anxiety that we get because we have debt. I mean, mortgage debt is different because we have the home that secures it, whatever. But uh, credit card debt just is just um something, unless it was spent on medical bills, you know, an emergency, something that you couldn't really um predict happening to you. Um, that's really overspending and living beyond your means. And that's something that's scary um, for people. And to come back to your first question really quick, um, I want to say that the first step is really to face the fact that you have to deal with it, face the fact that you have to deal with money and, and numbers and credit and all of these things, because a lot of people, I think the first step for them is understanding that that's a necessary part of life and you can shift it to somebody else.
0: Right. Well, you know, uh, interestingly enough, when I was in undergraduate school studying business economics, I remember one of my teachers actually talking about, about the fact when you have like all that credit card debt or things like cash advance loans, or let's say you even try to, uh, finance or lease furniture and things like that or you know people often will lease cars and my my father would never let me do anything like that but i'll just say that that can lead to what we call spiraling debt and obviously the name it's like when something spiraling you know you think it's it's uh, out there it's kind of out of control hence the name spiraling, spiraling debt so since, since they can get out of uh, control um, so quickly, is it best to just not even go in that direction?
1: There are different approaches. Again, when you have an emergency, sometimes you don't have a choice. Um, actually, there are three, um, I guess, situations where I support adding new debt. Uh, one is uh, your re- primary residence real estate. Mm-hmm. um or investing in real estate so it from a tax perspective and a financial perspective it makes sense even if you have the money to buy the place outright to have mortgage on it. Uh, second is an emergency like medical bills, you didn't have insurance coverage for the moment, whatever the situation is. And third is investing in yourself. I myself uh, you know invested in a coach a number of years ago when I couldn't afford the coach. But I knew that once I invest in the coach, I will make that money back in three to six months. And so having that debt really stimulated me to work that much harder to do, uh, to actually make it happen. And I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you have this debt sitting um, on your shoulders, I guess, as, as this weight on your shoulders, a great approach is to face it and say, "Okay, I have this debt how do I pay it off and never have this again? Because what really happens is Mm -hmm. banks are smart. They, and if you look at the terms of your credit card, you will rarely see an interest rate that's less than 14%. That's a lot of money. That means that on a $10,000 bill, you will pay $1,400 additional every year in interest alone, plus fees or whatever. Sometimes you get those too. And so, that really becomes a snowball in no time. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that to me is predatory lending too, and that's a whole thing too under the Fair Credit Reporting Act that we should should note. Really, um, you know, you have to pay attention to those interest rates. So let's talk about that a little bit. In fact, what you, you know, you just use those figures like you know, if it's 14%, you're gonna be paying $1,400, you know, in interest, you know, so you have to do the math. And so I remember, I have a a, a person that I know um, years ago, she was so excited, she was buying her first car, and I was like, oh, I was excited for her until she told me what her interest rate was. And she said it was 19%. I said, oh, my God. I was like, you'll never pay that off. I mean, you know, like, with, I said, how much is your note going to be? You know, it was like $600 a month. I was like, never in my life, you know, would I... Be paying an interest rate that high. Of course, interest rates were higher then, and they are starting to creep up even now. Well, well, I have a question in here that I want to bring up a, a little bit later on. But with um, with that, we have to be very uh, uh, careful and pay attention. And I, I, you know, for the sake of our, you know our younger audience, um, can you explain? Um, the concept of of interest rates when you're borrowing money, you know, what should they be looking for? Like, you know, when they go to determine um, an interest rate, how can they find out information about what they're going to be paying back over the life of the loan and getting into amortization and that type of thing?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, mortgages are, again, a different animal just because Really, we couldn't, um, the, in the Soviet Union, for example, we didn't have mortgages that were reasonable, the interest rates were insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people lived with their parents, with families for decades until they could, you know, collect enough money to buy a place. So mortgages are slightly different. With mortgages, what you should know, and, and this, is, this applies to credit cards as well, is when you have a balance outstanding... Um, normally you don't just pay a simple interest. Let's say it's 14%. It's normally not $1,400 in a $10,000 bill. It's normally a lot more. And the reason that it's more is that there's this concept of compounding um, and many credit cards, mortgages are different. They usually compounded, compounded monthly, but credit cards sometimes are compounded most of the time, I guess, daily. And what that means is Um, The bank looks at what the outstanding balance is as of the beginning of the day times proportionate interest, which is one 365th fraction of the interest rate. And uh, basically multiply that by the outstanding balance. And that happens every day. What that means is that the interest that you've just been charged for today gets added to the principal. So tomorrow's interest is going to be higher because the balance is already higher. And so that's the trap that people don't realize um, that they get into where they look at, oh, um, the interest is 14%. It's $1,400 on 10,000. It's not. It's actually more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to really look at the fine print uh, for the credit card uh, debts. And I mean realistically, most credit cards are anywhere between 14 to 30% interest, which is crazy. And what I really like that the companies, credit card companies, were forced to do were to show people this little table that shows if you just make minimum payment, how how long it's going to take you to pay it off. Um, And if you make more, how long it will take you to pay off this debt. That's very visual because when you have debt, oh, I want a new, I don't know, iPhone you buy this iPhone on credit, you don't really feel the money being spent because it doesn't really come out physically out of your pocket and the pocket becomes smaller. And so it's really easy to spend on credit. But when you see that it will take you 40 years to pay off a couple of those iPhones that you've charged, then it's different. The mindset sh- shifts and you, you really start thinking about, oh my God, like I'm in debt.
0: Right. and, and, How can I avoid this going forward? You know, Um, I'm glad you bought up mortgages because I want to talk about that and interest rates and the fact that they're going up and what that means for all of us. We're going to talk about that right after this commercial break. We'll come back and we'll look at interest rates. We'll be right back. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double-check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. All right. Welcome back to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein. And today we're talking with uh, CPA and MBA, Tatiana Sawyer. And um, as we left off, we were just talking about interest rates and how you have to really be careful with knowing what the fine print says about any type of loan that you may be getting. But we left off talking a little bit about mortgages as well. And that's one instance where Tatiana says she feels that, you know, uh, it's slightly different than the other uh, type of debt. And we're going to talk about why, but also let's talk about the fact that the feds um, have just recently um, – had uh, an increase in in the interest rate. Um, I was told uh, maybe about a week or so ago, it was maybe up to 5.8%, and we can maybe expect up to five times more uh, to see the uh, interest rate rise in this year. So what exactly is that going to mean for consumers?
1: So the way uh, mortgage interest rates affect us as consumers is when we want to purchase a principal residence, our main home. And just to, to put things in perspective, if you have, a let's say, a 3% rate on a mortgage, typically the compounding schedule is monthly. What, what it means is the beginning of the month, the bank looks at what the outstanding balance is and calculates interest based on that. And um, you make the same payment every month but a portion of that goes to your interest, a portion of that goes toward your principal to reduce that balance. And when the bank calculates interest, it's done monthly. And typically the bank, before they even before you even sign the papers and take ownership of your home, they come up with something called an amortization schedule. That amortization schedule is exactly the quote-unquote compounding that basically shows, okay, every payment that you make for the next 30 years, which is 360 payments or whatever whatever that is, will be this much in interest and this much in principal. And over time, the amount of interest will go down and over time, the amount of principal will go up, so you'll be paying it off quicker. But you'll still pay it off on schedule in 30 years, let's say, if it's a 30-year mortgage. And typically, the amortization schedule the bank knows ahead of time how much they're making in interest on this money. And many people are surprised. I found are surprised that they're actually paying off their home. Let's say even with a three percent mortgage, which is very low. Mm-hmm. Um, well, used to be low. Right? Used to be high. Um, <laughs> just a couple of uh, just a couple of months ago, but. <laughs> Right. <laughs> with, a, with a 3%, you will pay your home for your home two and a half times over. What it means is if you're, you had a mortgage for a hundred thousand dollars, you will pay close to 230, 250 with interest over time.
0: Is there a way to uh, combat that? Because I've, I think I learned a few years ago, I learned a little trick. Um, I, I want to see if you've, you've caught on to the trick of how you can <laughs> maybe pay your mortgage off sooner.
1: You can always make an additional uh, principal payment. That certainly will affect the speed that you pay down your mortgage with and also will affect the amount of money that you'll pay the bank. Um, I personally am against uh, 15-year mortgages simply because it puts undue pressure on people um, it's essentially if you make an additional payment every month, if you have the funds um, every month toward your mortgage principal, um, you can pay off your mortgage in 15 years, but you don't have the pressure of doing that. So that let's say pandemic happens, you lost your job, you can barely make the 30 year payment, which is usually half the amount you could still you can write off that wave and come back strong and then start again paying down the mortgage principal um, as you, as you find, find a new job or start a business or whatever.
0: Right. Um, I know, uh, a few years ago I started doing what was called like a biweekly mortgage, uh, saver program. And the way it worked was they added one extra payment on at the, sort of like at the end of the year, but you start, it, it, the money comes out every two weeks instead of once a month. And there's just like, they, they divide it out over, you know, it's like not 52 weeks, maybe 53, you know, like, well, when well, they're only 52 weeks in, in a year, but they, they add, they add one more payment on. It's like, when you start the program, you pay that one extra payment, full payment. And then, you know, it, every year that continues that, extra payment. And I know with our last mortgage, we probably, um, I mean, we paid down like by doing that, we shaved like nine years off the mortgage. So it can really be beneficial if you can stick to it. Um, and that was not a, that was a 30 year mortgage, but you know, so it wasn't the stress you were talking about, but there are all types of ways you can, um, look to, uh, decrease that. If you're really disciplined, I think you can do what you said, just go ahead and pay that uh, extra payment uh, a little bit each month, or you could do, you know, one payment at the end of the year, you could just set aside some money. And that way, if you did need it, well, you know, no harm, no foul, You, you, you could just kind of put that aside. But, you know, those are all really interesting points that I think, you know, when you're, especially when you're young and you're just kind of getting into, you know, should I even buy a house, (laughs) you know, nevertheless, you know, how do you maintain um, uh, and, and, and. I think a lot of people that I talk to um, they don't necessarily want the stress of of having a mortgage even anymore you know because they've seen what can happen with things like COVID. So it's an interesting time most definitely that we're living in. Um, The other thing um, I wanted to to ask about the mortgage uh, uh, situation in terms of purchasing power And home buying specifically, what does it mean for consumers like who are, let's say you're out, you're doing, you're you're shopping for a new home and you've been pre-qualified and you're like, everything's great. And then the interest rates rise. What happens?
1: Well, instead of paying down your house in, let's say, two and a half times over, when the interest rates rise, you will pay for your home three, four times over, um, over the life of the mortgage. And so the payment becomes a lot higher. I mean, shaving off uh, a point, a percent off of the mortgage uh, can save you probably, you know, depending on the mortgage amount, let's say on a $400,000, I know, because um, I've recently helped someone, uh, a client with that, uh, shaving off um, one percent, of a $400,000 mortgage can make a $500 difference in a mortgage payment a month. That's 6,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, times 30 years, that's becomes a pretty solid amount of money. And so um, when you think about purchasing power and shopping for, uh, for a home, um, I'm a big proponent of obviously home ownership, but at the same time, I know how intimidating it can be to have a mortgage. And here's the thing. I believe that the mortgage crisis that we've had, um, it's now over 14 years ago, right? 2008, Mm -hmm. um, happened because banks were encouraging mortgages, but also not really assessing people's buying ability um, Mm -hmm. and sustainability of their uh, being able to make payments all all, all the time. When you're just buying something, you're like, oh, $2,000 a month, I I can do that. And then suddenly you lose a client or you lose a job or something changes and suddenly you can't make that payment. And so banks haven't been really great at supporting people. They've been great at making money and uh, encouraging people to get mortgages, but not really great at really assessing, looking at your financials, which is what the underwriters should be doing um, and saying, okay, this person can afford this mortgage, and we as people, and it's our nature. We are naturally we want more and more and bigger and better, and and that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. But at the same time, um, we've certainly I've certainly witnessed mistakes being made where you think, oh, we can afford a five hundred thousand dollar home. Well, can you? What would the mortgage be? What about food? What about taxes? What about other stuff. Right. Can you really afford it? It's just simple math. It's adding the money coming in and money com- going out. But right. banks don't do that for you. It's all on you.
0: Right. You have to think about in- insurance, taxes. It's not just the mortgage payment. You have those other things that are often escrowed, and those are coming out as well. Or if you have a homeowners association, I mean, a lot of people don't know until they get into. Wait a minute. There are these extra things, and not only that. Um, I, I'm hearing stories of people who were pre-approved and they're out shopping for houses and all of a sudden they find out that the house they thought they could afford, the price range they were shopping in, has completely changed because of that one percentage uh, point increase in the, the loan. They can no longer afford that based on the uh, credit qualifications, you know how much money they're making uh, at work and how much money they have uh, put away. They're having to completely redo that over again. And so I think it's really, um, you know, it's been obviously a seller's market, but I don't see it really becoming a buyer's market when interest rates are rising either. You know, it was done to kind of, I guess, slow or curb inflation, Um, but It doesn't seem to be working, you know, I'm not sure, but I know when I'm going, I don't know about you in New York, but I'm sure you're seeing it up there, if I'm I'm not mistaken. I know here in Tennessee, where we reside, um, everything has gone up from gas prices, which, you know, obviously, to get... Uh, items in the supply chain from point A to point B it's going to be a lot more expensive because gas prices have risen but you know so everything food clothing you know uh, everything that we use um, our you know goods have gone up so that's something you know that people have to to think about as well Um, as things are changing you know we have to look at our budget and speaking of budget Tell me, why do you think it's important? uh, Because I've read over some of the information, you know, that uh, you guys sent me over. Um, Why do you think it's so important that people have a budget?
1: I think that getting to the point of having a budget, um, it's a little bit of a journey um, for the reasons that I've mentioned before, like us not getting, not being used to really monitor our money. Nobody taught us in school to really understand, okay, how's the rent getting paid this month? Or how's the mortgage getting paid this month, right? As kids. And so we grow up, we go, grow, go into the world and we're like, okay, um, how does this work? Okay, I'm getting some income or I'm paying some rent. I think I can afford it. I don't think I can afford it. So it's kind of all over the place. And um, I think when you tell people you need to budget, um, the immediate reaction is usually pushback. Um, because it sounds scary and intimidating uh, and complicated and involving a lot of math and a lot of people don't like math and but I think it doesn't have to be that scary no Um, I think the most important part or I guess the first step to making it work to creating a, a resemblance of a budget is understanding how much money is actually coming in I'll give you an example so Let's say your salary is $60,000, great, but you're not getting $60,000 in your bank account. How much is it that you're getting because you get withholdings? You get Social Security and Medicare withholdings, income tax withholdings, at least the federal. Uh, Some of you lucky ones in Tennessee don't get the state and city tax, which is what people have in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so how much is it that you're actually bringing in that you can count on? At least, let's say, keeping everything else um, as is, let's say, assuming you don't lose your job or whatever, that's a starting point. Then what are the basics that you need to get covered for the, in the, what the money's coming out? So rent or mortgage, uh, food, utilities, phone service, some of those basics that you really can't live without. And that will give you a perspective. Okay, how much is left, if anything, after that? Now, if you have nothing left, if you're running into debt by just living, then that's a problem. Um, If you have something left, okay, how do you want to best spend that? Do you want to maybe put some money aside just for kicks? You know, we always uh, talk about or hear about saving for a car or saving for A trip or whatever, but why not just save just because?
0: Yeah. Well, um, interestingly enough, I can remember, I think back to when did I, you know, come up with a budget and and why? And I remember it it was, it's definitely been quite some time ago, but it was after I got married. um, I started looking at my spouse's expenses versus the expenses I had. You know, you're suddenly finding yourself meshing you know, two salaries and, and, you know, two households into one. And so you have to like, okay, it's like, oh, I have all these other things that I didn't have before. And so I pulled out Excel and started typing things into the Excel sheet. And, you know, the nice thing, thing about that, it has the little summation tool so you can easily sum up and see, but You don't just want to know what you have going out I learned quickly hey I need to know what what all we have coming in here so that I can best budget because if you don't know I mean my father used to say if you fail to plan you plan to fail you better be thinking about you know all these things you need to to know to be able to effectively budget you know because if you still are spending more than you have coming in uh, that's not really a budget (laughs) You know, you're, you're just spending. So you're on a spending, spending spree. So I often think that, you know, you need to look at that. And often, I mean, I look at mine regularly, at least every three months, you know, talking about, hey, are there ways I can say, is there something on here that I'm using that may be coming out a recurring charge not to call any names, Netflix, but, um, you know, (laughs) that are just constantly coming out. Sometimes the pricing is going up. Should we be, you know, going back and looking at these things? And, you know, sometimes you need to cancel something. I mean, you know, sometimes you need to simplify until you get your budget evened out. Otherwise you are going to start putting stuff on credit cards or you know, spending in ways you shouldn't be spending until you you have a little money saved uh, aside. One of the things in, in talking about savings, okay, Tatiana, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we used to call it like a rainy day fund. How much nowadays do you think people should kind of have set aside? How do you kind of gauge or determine how much money you should be kind of putting away for that rainy day?
1: Um, I think that there are two ways that I would approach it. Um, one is for everyone. The second one is for maybe 30 plus. Um, and it doesn't have to be 30 plus, but I'll explain that in a minute. But I now with everything that has happened in the past two years, um, I think that it's really smart to put away at least 12 months of expenses aside. That's must. That's a bare minimum that you can have. So, you know, some pandemic was something that nobody has ever expected to happen the way it did. And a lot of people lost their jobs and many people were stuck, um, not working, not being able to provide for themselves, put food on a table for themselves or their families or both. And so I think that it's really, um, has really highlighted for us, for all of us, how important having a rainy day fund is. And it used to be a six-month expense uh, budget, Uh, but I think it has extended and now it's anywhere between 12 to 18 months, I would say, is the safest bet. Because then you know, okay, you get fired from your job or lose a job because they're uh, downsizing or because of the pandemic, you can survive and you can comfortably live and not worry about things and give yourself time to find another job or, or start a business or something else. Um, and second, one is I like to think about your quality of life in retirement. And here's what I mean by that I have clients who come in and they're in their, let's say, early 40s. And when I ask them, when do you want to retire and how much money do you need a year to live? they're usually stumped. They usually don't know what to say because nobody has asked them before that. Mm. And when you when when I talk through them and I say, okay, so let's say you need 60,000 a year when you retire to live comfortably. Will that be enough? Because question number one, question number two is, okay, based on your life expectancy, let's say, in order to be able to afford sixty thousand you'll need let's say I'm making making the number up a million dollars put away before you retire. How much do you have and usually the answer is either nothing or very little and that scares people because so many seniors get to retirement with no savings counting on social security but social security is very little it's almost nothing it's bare barely covering food maybe for yeah. you retired. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I I think a lot of people think they can count on that and you really can't not if you want to live at the same means or at least close, uh, to where you've been living. So you have to think that's what you're gonna be living off of if you have not saved. And that is a sad scenario. Um, We're gonna talk more about uh, financial literacy when we come back and why it's so important. We're gonna take another quick break. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to relationships, there are some obvious signs you can use to spot someone who might be abusive. First, they have a tendency to want to rush into a relationship. They may also show signs of jealousy and mistrust, and you could find they expect you to be perfect and will try to cut you off from other important relationships. They could also be abusive towards animals and children. To learn more about the signs of dangerous individuals and how you can identify and avoid unhealthy relationships, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 and welcome welcome back i am your host dr celeste stein you're listening to the celeste stein show and today we're talking with tatiana sawyer about financial literacy and some of the really important things that you need to know as far as um, budget planning and uh being prepared for your future so that you have a good one so um welcome back everyone um, as we're um, talking um, and getting such great advice from Tatiana, I want to remind you that you can call into the show. Um, this is a live show and you can call in at one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. 627 6008 That number again is one eight 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 627 You'd like to call in you have some questions for Tatiana I'm sure she'd be glad to answer them or me I'm happy to (laughs) chime in as well so um I'm gonna move on to the the whole point of financial literacy and when it comes to um one's attitude and upbringing I know everyone has been raised differently um how important is it um to know uh how much this might impact what you think about finances, just your upbringing. And how can you if, you, if you say you came from a family that it just really wasn't that important, you know, uh, you know they, they may have uh, uh, used uh, government programs or what have you and, and survived that way. But let's say you want a better life for yourself or for your children. What should you be thinking about in terms of your approach to financial literacy.
1: Uh, a great start is knowing your own habits. And um, I love the, some of the diet program commercials because they talk about the psychology of how we, I guess, think about food. Same thing, same exact thing, same exact attitude is mm-hmm. toward money how did you learn about money? I have a client, a coaching client who, who came and said, you know, when I was a kid, I would ask dad for money, or I made some money on a bake sale. And the attitude from my parents was always, my money is not important. So I grew up, she said, thinking my money is not important. So she always had this Weird relationship with money where she would always think about to have more saved, I guess, which is a good thing, but also that her money wasn't important, that what she was doing wasn't important. And so I think the great a great really starting point is to find out how did you learn about money? Were you shamed about money? Were you maybe nobody ever talked about it? Maybe it was never openly discussed, maybe you never learned that parents are paying these expenses. Um, That's really a great way to understand your attitude uh, toward money. And then once you know where your starting point is, where your springboard is, then you can take that to the next level and change that. So awareness, I think, is the number one key in money matters. We all need to learn to talk openly about money. We all need to learn to talk openly about debt. Um, And, you know, I've worked with a client a couple of years ago who um, was on the verge of bankruptcy. And I've actually worked with a few clients like that um, in the past, but on the verge of bankruptcy. And when she consulted an attorney, uh, potentially considering a bankruptcy proceeding, he said that you can't imagine how many people are on the verge of bankruptcy. Nobody talks about it. They don't talk about it, obviously, because they've gotten into the situation. But how many people have overspent, have made made bad financial decisions, you know, have gone, kind of followed their greed, or maybe it wasn't greed, maybe it was just um, recklessness, or whatever, and bigger home, bigger car, better, better something. Um, and really have gotten themselves into, into the, uh, to the point where they potentially have to file for bankruptcy. I mean, how scary is that?
0: Right. Or like you said, um, many times it's the unexpected, uh, unexpected hospital stay, hospital bill that might be, you know, exorbitant. Um, And then, you know, you're finding you have to come up with that money you set aside for something else now has to go towards that. So it's a lot of things that, play into that and i i think back to you know growing up my father was real diligent uh about uh, making money and uh building the finances but my mother wasn't so i was i was learning from both ends of it she liked to spend it he liked to make it right you know and so but he i mean you know i used to sit there with him when he would balance the books and so I realized, hey, there's some hard work that goes into this. If you want to make money and, and keep money, you have to sit here and at some point look at your checkbook and make sure that if you spent something, uh, you know, that you remember to put it in there. And that that would be the funniest thing to me, the, 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 the I guess, majority of Big arguments had to do with the fact that my mother always forgot to put the <laughs> she would always forget to put whatever it was she was spending into the checkbook. So he would get down to balance and he goes, This isn't balancing, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I imagine I'm a little girl, like eight years old, watching him. And he'd be like, Oh, why is this not balancing, <laughs> you know? And it, we didn't have all the, um, the gadgets and where you could go online and pull things down. You would have to, like, you know, wait till that statement came or go to the bank and try to figure out where is that, you know, canceled check and what was it for, you know? And so, you know, it's it's funny how people learn uh, differently, but I always said, mm, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> well, Wait, where, you know, I'm upsetting my spouse because I haven't, you know, entered something in the checkbook. So I always try to really, you know, do a good job with that and keeping up with it, you know, and th- thankfully it's much, much easier uh, to do uh, today. So again, having a budget, you know, again, is so important and figuring out a way to do that. And if they don't know how to do it, tell them they need to come see somebody like you, right? That can can certainly help them uh, with that. Now, um, with people um, who might be, say, living above their means, Tatiana, I wanted to ask you, um, what is a good way, because I think it sneaks up on people, to be honest with you. What is a good way to gauge if you're maybe overspending? Because I think... You know, it starts out subtly, you know, you put one thing on a credit card, but then, you know, the next thing you know, the, the you, you get a negative balance or something is happening. Um, how do you um, advise someone to figure out, you know, how much over am I here and why and how do I need to get this under control?
1: I think that a great way to start that process is run a few numbers right some basic math coming in coming out some basic stuff food rent whatever then all the extras you really want that new iphone okay have a plan on how you're going to pay it off Um, and can you afford the monthly payments because you know of course companies make it easy for you to get something that you really want today and then it's only $58 a month or $15 a month or whatever. And it sounds doable, but actually sit down and just use a napkin, back of the napkin and say, okay, how much am I bringing in in cash? What's my net paycheck? And what are my basic living expenses? Okay, how does this fit in? And if you decide to still Buy that thing that you really want. Have a plan. Okay, I'll pay it off in the next twelve months, and I won't buy anything until then. But also, um, it adds up. The little things add up. I remember, I this was um, over a decade ago. I worked in the city, and New York City has a lot of uh, struggling actors. You know, actors who are trying to make it, and they go into these um, auditions and things like that. But here's the thing many live in a, in an apartment with two, three roommates and drink Starbucks every day, several times a day. That's five bucks a cup. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And, and that adds up quickly. I mean, five days a week, that's 25 bucks. That's at least a hundred dollars a month. Can you really afford that? And if you do it twice a day, that's double that. Can you really afford that? And it really adds up quickly um, and can sneak up on you for sure. But the, Truthful assessment of okay, um, I really can't afford Starbucks this month or whatever because I'm saving for the iPhone or whatever, or I, I want to get the iPhone and paid off is a really great reality check, I think, um, that everyone should be doing, whether you have a lot of money or you don't.
0: Yeah, those are ways that you can start to look if you, if you, when you put it down on paper, like you said. I was able to kind of look and say, hmm, maybe I need to call my insurance company. This has gone up. You know, I'm looking at last year's budget and this year's budget and wow, this has gone up. Maybe I should shop this around. So every few months, that's what I do. i call and say, is there any way, or, you know, is there a discount <laughs> I might be able to get in here for, you know, good driving behavior or, you know, whatever it may be. But there, you'd be surprised that you can save so much or going to the store and doing a little preparation, going ahead and, and buying your lunch meat and, and whatever you're going to buy for lunch that week instead of eating out. You know, you'd be surprised you could save at least $50 a, a week by just doing that Looking at little things like that, and then putting that money into savings, right? So, um, is is do you think that's a good way? Are there any other recommendations on how much and how much one should at least start to try to save? Um, you know, on a regular basis. I know it's going to be different probably for everyone, but I think if you can't squeeze fifty dollars out, uh, you really need to take a hard. Close look, right? I mean, monthly, even.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we definitely look at our finances monthly for our household. And obviously, I'm the person who's actually doing the finances. So I get to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. But we look at it. And honestly, I think any little bit amount of money that you can save just for the sake of saving is a great start. Uh, Remember when we talked about mortgages and how a little increase in a percentage. Um, Or a little increase in the principal payment makes a huge difference over time. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the savings. Saving 50 bucks a month times 12 months, that's already $600. But when you save and let's say invest, not necessarily in the stock market, but it can be a variety of different investments or just keep it at least um, as a cash sum. You know, the interest, as the mortgage interests go up, bank uh, interests also go up on the money. And so that can make a huge difference for you over time. So start with something that's easily doable for you. I think that's the most important part because you don't want to force yourself to always say no to the things that you sometimes want. You want that occasional Starbucks, but you know that you really shouldn't. Okay, maybe once a month, a couple of time, times a month, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for myself. It's going to be my reward for saving 50 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's really over time makes a huge difference. And especially as you get to invest uh, those, those money, sometimes, like I said, maybe in the stock market, maybe just a CD or whatever, maybe real estate at some point Buy that real little rental or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be expensive. It's only expensive in the big cities. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, in the smaller, in the smaller cities, it's, it's much more affordable. And I certainly have clients who buy little properties here and there, but investing just even a little bit can make a huge difference for you in 10 years when you've forgotten about that money. And all of a sudden, when you're trying to buy a place for yourself or maybe move to a new state or something, you can actually, you actually can afford that and have a little safety net that you've built for yourself over time that you didn't even feel because it was so easy, because it was such a doable amount for you.
0: Right. What a great point. But I also love the point you just made about, you know, rewarding yourself if you've done a good job and put what you were trying to put aside. Because, you know, we talked a little bit about the mental health aspect of money uh, that a lot of people don't talk about. And when, when things are going wrong or going bad, it's very stressful. It can be stressful. It's one of the most stressful things on a marriage. It's stressful you know in your day-to-day life so when you're doing well and and doing a good job you should reward yourself not in the you know i mean if you want to get that one starbucks or for me i like going to get my nails done or you know um Just a little something, right? Yeah, exactly. So those are things that are also important because you don't want to work, work, work all this time and just be saving and never enjoy it. I mean, I know people like that, too, who have worked their whole lives to put everything away and, and they never get to to enjoy it. So it's, it's a fine game, you know, in this thing we call life and trying to balance everything. Um, I wanted to kind of, as we kind of are getting close to the end here, I really want to talk quickly about retirement and retirement savings. And so um, I think when you're young, you may think you have all the time in the world and uh, you don't really need to, invest, you know, in retirement just yet, you know, at what point do you think people should really start to say, hey, hmm, I think I'm gonna put at least a little something away because some employers will actually a few of them still do matching, you know, where for every dollar you're putting in, they may be putting in 25 cent, they may be putting in 50 cent or they may be putting in a whole dollar. So I always heard from the financial investors I've worked with. You never want to just leave money on the table, if you that's will. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so how um, much, um, yeah, how much do you think um, people should be thinking about retirement? Like what age should should people really start thinking about that?
1: If it was up to me, it would be 18. Uh. <laughs> Um, because, and the reason is, you know, retirement is such a distant future, especially when you're younger, under 30. Oh, it's, it's that thing that maybe will happen one day. And so because of that, we are not as motivated to, to really put money aside and invest in our own future. But, you know, I grew up in the country where, uh, the mentality was not planning for retirement, uh, meaning there was no planning for retirement at all. People lived today. So whatever money I have today, we either take a trip or buy something, I don't know, a car or whatever. There was no planning at all. There was no planning for the future decency in retirement ever. And unfortunately, you know, and that was one of the reasons that I really loved America so much is uh, there's respect for the elderly here, whereas there you retire and it's like flipping the switch. You're like, okay, old lady, move away or move aside, or you know, and and this attitude toward uh older folks, and we're not talking about old folks, we're talking about older, like 60 plus. Mm -hmm. This the disrespect, the you're at the end of your life, the all of that attitude is really terrible to was terrible for me to witness. And so I wanted something different for me and my my family, my parents, and Um, I think that it's important to think about, it's hard to really focus on it when you're 18 or 20. But that's why many employers um, in the government, actually, there is this credit called um, credit for auto enrollment. If you're, if you as a business have a retirement plan that has an auto enrollment feature, which means everybody who's eligible is enrolled automatically, whether you like it or not, and you have to actually opt out, like you have to do something to opt out, um, you get a credit for three years. As an employer, Mm -hmm. and so most plans have that auto enrollment feature, and so that's really great for the younger people who get jobs because they get enrolled in this thing, and sometimes they get surprised because when they put put some money aside for retirement, they actually pay less tax because their paycheck is actually higher, which is really cool. And so, because you're starting at let's say 22, you have um, I don't know 40. Five years, let's say forty-eight years, whatever the retirement age is going to be, for that money to compound, even if it's fifty bucks, and right. so that becomes really, really powerful. And um, you know, once you hit thirty-five, I think it's it's imperative to participate in a plan or put money aside, and maybe a combination of a traditional and a Roth. Um, but if, even when you were younger, it won't hurt. Uh, learn to live on less. Um, And it's, we're not talking about huge amounts of money here, the limit for 401k deferral out of your salary. So let's say if you work for somebody, they have a plan, you can defer up to 20,500 of your salary per year, but very few people at that age actually do the max, uh, which is okay. If you do something, it's still meaningful, really meaningful for, for you in the future. And you don't, you know, you learn to live with less. And that actually is great because you learn to not spend um, and put money aside without really noticing. And the great thing is with matching is, like you said, it's not leaving money on the table. I think that at the very minimum, and most companies have um, some sort of a setup because it's just it's just uh, government regulated, uh, where it's 4%, the first 4% of your salary that you defer, you get 100% of the match. And then fifty percent of the next two percent, so up to six percent of your salary, if you set aside for for the retirement, the company will match that. So they'll give you free money into your retirement. So that's the bare minimum that everyone should be doing, whatever that employer's plan is. Some employers even have, and I'm a big fan of those profit sharing contributions. Oh yes, those uh, which awesome. is which is amazing. It's yeah. free money, free money for your retirement. Why not? do it and if you don't participate you don't get that so it's really um retirement is is a great way to putting away for retirement is a great way to ensure that your lifestyle can be sustained and you can have a dignified retirement when you when you do retire
0: absolutely well tatiana that has been uh this has been a pleasure it's been uh wonderful advice you've given us today um and i want to ask you really quickly what is your website if people want to visit you and get more information? What, where can they go?
1: Um, I think I have a little shortcut, so it's um, Tatiana.com and it takes you to my tatianatzawyer.com, which is just harder to remember.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you again for joining us. That's all the time we have for now on The Celeste Stein Show. I'd like to, to thank you again for joining us today. And those of you who want to tune in in two weeks, our next show will be on May 7th at 11 a.m. here on BBS Radio Station One, which can be found on iHeartRadio. Thank you so much for joining us. Go out there and make it a great day. Bye-bye.